Today, Pastor Javen continues the series, My Hope Is In. Today, we'll see that our hope is in an everlasting Father. Take a moment to pause and pray, preparing your heart for today's service. Uh, we are in the series, uh, continuing today. We're in part three called My Hope Is In. Um, uh, we'll be in, uh, you, you can go ahead and go to the Gospel of John, because we'll be in uh, the Gospel of John some this morning. Uh, but, um, but we have started this series looking at who our hope is. Is in that the hope for the believer is not just wishful thinking, it's not reckless emotions. Our hope is an expectation and anticipation that God is at work in our life, even if we don't see it. We said that our hope is personal because our hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is, was God with us, He was the Lord who came to save us. And as Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9, He would be called the Wonderful Counselor. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And over these weeks, that's what we're looking at. That's who our hope is in. That first week we said our hope is in the wonderful counselor. Right? He's the one that's beyond all understanding. He's the one that has the wisdom for the solution, the power to enforce the solution. If we are sit down with the wonderful counselor, we're honest with him, we share our heart with him, we desire for him to work in our life, even if it's not the way we desire, we listen, we obey, then we will begin to see him move us with wisdom and strength to get from where we are to where we need to be. We said last week that our hope's in the mighty God, the great I am. Right, The one that, that, that Jeremiah prophesied and said he, he had his aha moment. And he said that, that, that God is mighty in power. He created the heavens and the earth by his great power. If he can do that, nothing is too difficult for him. And we explored how Jesus said he is the I am, the great I am, the one who is anything that we need. And we, we saw that if we just put our hope in the I am, no matter what the situations we're facing in our life, like Jesus even had to go through the crucifixion, but he continued to keep his hope in God. And if we keep our hope in the mighty God, not, not those things that are not, but the one who is, if we keep our hope in him, we'll find that on the other side, glory to God through that situation. And today we're going to look at that our hope is in the everlasting father, the everlasting father. Now, you know, everybody has a different relationship with, with their dad. I don't, I don't know what your relationship may have been with your father and how you perceive the term father. I had a great relationship with my dad. Uh, my dad passed away about 11 years ago um, from mesothelioma. My youngest son was born in December of uh, 2010. Uh, my father passed away in February of 2011. Uh, so just over 11 years, almost 12 now. And um, uh, am I doing that math right? Maybe no, let's move past it. Um, uh, but, but I had a great relationship. So I had over 30 years of my life I got to spend with my dad. And, uh, you know, he, he taught me a lot. He, he, uh, um, there, was, there was a lot of things. I picked up a lot of qualities from my dad. I picked up the good ones. I picked up the bad ones, right? I mean, I, I, you know, and uh, <laughs> not that the bad ones are totally bad. You know, I got the stubborn side of dad. You know, I got that a part of me, you know. Uh, and, careful. Um, I, you know, and I got the frugal part of me. My wife would say that's a bad trait. Um, you know, I, I got different things from, from my dad. But, uh, but one thing that I got from him is my dad loved God. 
I, I, I could hear him praying in his room behind a closed door. I saw the joy he put into studying and preparing to teach a Sunday school class. I mean, he taught a Sunday school class like he was preparing to teach or to preach to tens of thousands of people. I mean, he took it extremely seriously. I got to see that from my father and, and, and it was a great relationship with my dad. And now I have the joy of having three kids and, and I get to be a dad to them. And, and, and I am not the perfect father to which they would say, amen. And, and, uh, and, um, and, and so, but we have, you know, I think we have a, a good relationship. In fact, this Wednesday I, I was with them and, uh, they had dentist appointments. It's just easier for me to take them for my, than for my wife to get a substitute. So, so I'm, I'm with them and I, I enjoy those times. I get to take them those appointments and we get to spend some time together. And, and we went out to eat lunch, to, to eat lunch, uh, afterwards celebrating that there were no cavities. You know, they were happy about that because Dennis doesn't have to do work. I was happy about that because I don't have to spend more money. And um, so I said, we'll go get some food. And so they celebrated with a big plate of brownies at season. I'm like, really? That's how we celebrate? But anyway, so I thought I'd take a moment in this time with my kids and ask them, when you think of me as dad, right? If I, if, if I am your only understanding of the term father and you look at me and relate what you know of a father to God, if God is Heavenly Father, and the only way you know to think of God is to think of me as dad, what characteristics and qualities would you describe the father as? And my smartest one said, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say anything because whatever I say, you'll say from the stage on Sunday. You're correct. <laughs> and that's why they're the smartest one. So, but no, it was, it was good. We had a great conversation. It was fun. But, uh, but it's, it's interesting. And so, you know, but I realize not everyone has a, a great relationship with father. And in fact, in some homes, father isn't even there. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, they say that 18.3 million children, which equates to one in every four live without a biological father, a stepfather, or, an, uh, or a foster parent. So we have, they have labeled what's been known in our society as a father factor because they say that the ills that our society face stems from the fact that we have people growing up without fathers. So they point to statistics. Now, I want to say this. I want to say this about statistics. Statistics only reveal what is. They don't reveal what has to be. Statistics can change. If you're a person that grew up without a father or you know someone that doesn't, that doesn't have a father, statistics that are shown doesn't mean that they have to become a statistic. Right? They, they can... Uh, live beyond what the statistics say, and they can even change the statistics. But I do want us to see what these statistics say, because I want us to see how important a father is in our life. This is what statistics say right now. They're saying there's a four time greater chance that there's a risk of poverty in the home when there is no father present. That a child, a, a girl is seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager if a dad is not in the home. There's a two-time greater risk of infant mortality without a dad being at home. There's two times more likely, the child is two times more likely to suffer obesity. They are two times more likely to drop out of high school. 
And then it doesn't come to the, to the extreme of two times more likely, but they are more likely to have behavioral problems, face abuse and neglect, abuse drugs and alcohol, commit a crime and be incarcerated if they don't have a father in, in their home. Again, just because these are st- the statistics doesn't mean it has to be that way. The statistic can change. But a father's relationship or a lack of relationship with the child can have a great impact on the child's life. And it can have an impact on them spiritually as well. I want you to see a study that uh, Focus on the Family sh- did. Focus on the Family did a study saying if, if someone in the household accepts Christ, after that person accepts Christ, how likely is the household to follow suit and accept Christ and begin a relationship with Christ as well? So what they found was if a child is the first to accept Christ in the household, then they said that 3.5, there's a 3.5% chance that the rest of the home will follow and, and begin a relationship with Christ. If the mom accepts and begins to follow Christ and begins a new relationship with Christ, there's a 17% chance that the household follows suit. Watch this. If dead accepts Christ, there's a 93% chance that the household follows suit and follows Christ. The father has an important role to play in their family's home. So a quick note to us dads, and this is just a quick note, and we're going to jump into John. Because the role of the dad is so important. I just want us to understand as fathers. It's not Father's Day, but because we're talking about the advice from Father, I believe we need to point this out. Again, I'm not a perfect dad. You know, I drive my kids crazy. They drive me crazy. You know, we have a great relationship. But we have fun. We have a great relationship. We, we seriously do. But here's things that I am striving for and I want to do. And I hope we all as dads do. One, our kids need to know we're proud of them. It's okay to challenge them, to push them, but we can't instill this mindset in our kids' life to think that they always have to prove themselves to us or do something to satisfy us. They need to know we're proud of them. They need to hear us tell them what they're good at, right? Our kids need to hear us tell them, I love you. Dad, they need to hear those words from you. It's okay to express that. Our, kid, our kids need to talk to us. They need to be able to sit down. Now, I will be the first to admit, my wife is so much better at talking to my kids than I am, especially about things that are going on. Because you know, my mind, and, and I, you know, it's like the typical male, is always focused on solution. How can we solve? But they need to be able to talk to us, and we need to be able to have conversations with them. And I want to have conversations. With, I strive to have conversations with my kids. Our kids also, guys, need to see how we handle emotions. They, they, need, to, they, they need to see us cry. cry I, I, we need to break this. Now, I'm a guy that doesn't cry a lot. I, I don't. I, and I don't take pride in that. But I'm not, I'm, I don't cry a lot. But the thing is... Guys, we need to break the stigma that crying is a weakness. Crying is not a weakness. Crying is a show that we're real and that we have a heart when something moves us. So they need to see, they need to see all the emotion. They need to see us when, when, we're, when we're sad. They need to see us when we're hurt. They need to see us when we're in pain. They need to see us when we're happy and we're having joy. They need to see us having fun with them. 
And how do we handle things that make us angry? And if we don't handle anger correctly, how do we respond to them? Do we seek forgiveness? You know, they need to see those kind of things in our life. And one of the biggest things too, is they need us to be present in their life. They need a dad who is there and is a part of their life. They need that. And being the perfect father, that's not our goal. But the goal is to be a father that is there for our kids, that loves our kids and points them to the one who is the heavenly father and the perfect father. So that hopefully one day they'll make a decision to make their relationship with him personal. Now, to say that is not to bring condemnment, condemn, not to condemn you or bring judgment on you if, if you haven't done those things. Because again, I'm not perfect. There's things that I'm growing in. But, but the hope is that we see and we say, I want to get better. And I want to do better at this. And if you're in here today and you didn't have a good relationship with the Father, I want to encourage you today as well to not let the relationship you had with a father that may not have been the best affect the way you have your relationship with the heavenly father. There's a powerful article that was written by a guy named Jonathan Edwards. This is not the the historical Jonathan Edwards who was a theologian and and all. This is a a guy who works in a church, but he wrote this powerful article about his, uh, his relationship with his dad that was not good and how for a long time it affected his relationship with the heavenly father, but how that changed. I want you to hear just a little bit of what he said. He said, how was I supposed to use a word that for me brought to mind everything a parent shouldn't be when I was in a conversation with God, whom I'd been told was everything my dad wasn't. How was I supposed to call God by a name that I hadn't used for most of my life? A name that didn't mean to me what I knew scripture insisted God is. For me to call God a father was like calling an apple an orange, he said. They didn't mix. Sure, I knew God was a father, but how was I sure he wasn't like my father? And then he says these words, which are so powerful. Instead of looking at my dad and then back to God, I learned to look at God first. Because if I didn't start with God, then God would always be the replica instead of the original. God is the, God is the original. He is the everlasting father. So while we are imperfect replicas on this earth, some of us a little bit further off than others. And that's okay because we all can grow. But if you are a child and and, and you can't let the relationship with your dad affect your relationship with your father, look to the original and then back to the replica. And see that they're maybe just trying to get to where they need to be. But if you want to know what God is like, then as Isaiah pointed out, we need to start by looking at Jesus. Who in him is the everlasting father. Because Jesus is the perfect image and representation of God. In fact, Jesus even said that to know the father, you have to know him. See, now don't want us to confuse the Godhead aspect that God is three in one, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. Because Jesus isn't taking on that role of the, of the Godhead. Jesus is taking on the fact that when you look at me, you see the character of God, the father, you see the image of God, the father, God, the father is in person to you through the son, Jesus Christ. 
So Jesus, I want us to see this uh, conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. John chapter 14, we'll look there. And we're just going to look at a, a few things real quick as we understand knowing the Father through knowing Jesus this morning. John chapter 14, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. And this is, you know, we looked at this verse last week. But Jesus, is, this is in the place where he's talking to them. He's going to have to leave, and they don't know where he's going. And he tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know me, you know how to get there. So in verse 6, he's telling them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Verse 7, he says, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip says this, he says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replied to him, he says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? See, this should encourage us, you know, because we still have questions. The disciples were with Jesus personally, and they, it took them a long time to get it. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does His work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. So Jesus is is, is having this conversation and He's telling Philip, Philip... You want to know the Father. Guys, you want to know the Father. You, can know, you know the Father because you know me. Everything you've seen in me, Jesus says, you see the Father. But here's an important thing that we need to infer from this conversation that Philip and the disciples are having with Jesus. It is very possible to know about and not know. It is very possible to hear the teachings of Jesus, to have read the words of Jesus, to have listened to sermons on Jesus. It was very possible for the disciples to sit and follow Jesus and be with Jesus and listen to every word and they still not know the Father. Because there is something different about knowing just information and knowing personally. Right? Maybe you get asked from time to time, do you know so-and-so? And And maybe you know them or you don't know them or you know about them. And so typically I answer one thing. If I don't know them, I say, no, I don't know them. If I know, if I've heard their name, I'll say, well, I know about them. I've heard of them. But if you ask me, do you know Jenny? Well, absolutely, I know Jenny. And there's people in this room. I can say, yeah, I know them. I know them well. But I know Jenny a lot better than I know other people because Jenny and I have an intimate relationship. The more you get intimate and personal with someone, the more you know that person. And Jesus is saying that what you have, your faith is not just informational faith. It needs to be a personal faith and you have that opportunity through me, the son who points you to the everlasting father. Because everything about the father is in me. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus, when he was praying in the garden, John points out that he even prayed that life is defined by knowing God. This is eternal life, that they may know you. 
Jeremiah, the prophet prophesied in Jeremiah chapter nine. He said, don't boast in wisdom. Don't boast in power. Don't boast in anything else. But in verse 24, he says this, he says, boast in the fact that you know me. Jump to verse 24 there, brother. That they boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord. That should be what we're proud about, that we know God, that we know him. But to personally know someone, you have got, like we said a couple of weeks, we got to be honest. And to personally know someone, we have to have commitment in the relationship to know them. Jesus Christ took our faith from being one that's just philosophical, where we have this information and we glean more from information. Christianity, a walk with Christ is not philosophical. It is relational. But here's the thing. The more we know God, the more powerful the information we have about God becomes because it becomes personal in him. And this happened through a man named Nicodemus. And real quick, as, as, as we round the corner, I want us to see what happened in Nicodemus' life. John chapter 3, you see Nicodemus approach Jesus at night. And he approaches Jesus to have this conversation. It's interesting that he does it at night. Because most of the time when religious leaders, when they would come to Jesus, it would be during the day. Because they wanted to, they wanted to trick him. They wanted to ask him questions to kind of get him to, to say things that would make him look blasphemous to God. They, 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 their goal was to get him arrested. Nicodemus comes to him at night. Because Nicodemus wants to have a conversation with Jesus without everybody realizing he's having a conversation with Jesus. And he says, and he starts by saying, Nick, uh, Jesus, we know that you are from God. We know that you're of God because of the signs, the things that you do. And it's interesting to me that he says we, because there must be more than just Nicodemus that are back there as religious leaders saying behind the scenes of all the other religious leaders. I think this guy might be who the prophets talked about. So Nicodemus is having this conversation and Jesus immediately responds to him. Nicodemus, if you want to get to the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again. Which poses a very intelligent question from Nicodemus. How can me, as an old man, go back in my mother's womb? That's what, Nicodemus, that's what any of us would have asked. And so Jesus then tries to, then begins to go into explaining to him what it means to be born again and how it is a relationship with the Father and with, with, through his son Jesus. And then we get those famous words from John chapter 3, verses, uh, verses 16, 17, 18. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then in verse 17, he says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world. In other words, my priority priority isn't to come here to judge you, Nicodemus. My priority is to come and save you. That's why the father sent me. And then in verse 18, he says, there's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. So he's saying, my priority is not to judge you, but Nicodemus, there's no other choice. If you refuse to accept me for who I am, you will be judged. In fact, you already are, if that's what your heart is set on. And so Nicodemus leaves this conversation and things begin to happen. And we see all this stuff take place. And in John chapter five, we see Jesus heals a lame man. 
on the Sabbath. The Pharisees get upset about this. They argue with him. You're healing a guy on the Sabbath and you shouldn't be doing this. It's the Lord's day. And, and Jesus says, you know, he, they, they begin to have all this conversation. And in John chapter five, uh, verse, uh, we, verse 16, I just want us to see a couple of verses real quick. John chapter five, verse 16, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says, uh, so the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with who? God. Which then should have reminded them of the prophet's Isaiah, prophet Isaiah words, he will be called everlasting father. Wait a minute, something should be adding up here. But no, they go on. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you'll truly be astonished. In other words, Jesus is saying, y'all going to kill me, but I'm going to come back to life. You're going to be really floored then. For just as the father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the son gives life to anyone he wants. In addition, the father judges no one. Instead, he's given the son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son is certainly not honoring the father who sent him. What is Jesus saying? He's continuing to point out to them. You look at me, you're looking at the father. Remember we talked about last week, if you were here, the, uh, the Pharisees, these same guys, well, they, you see later in John chapter 8, they're saying their father is Abraham, their father and God. And Jesus says, no, he's not your father. Your father is the devil because they don't believe his words. And they don't believe him. And, and Jesus keeps having this conversation with them. And then we jump down to verse uh, uh, 26. We see Jesus say this, The Father has life in himself, and he's granted that same life-giving power to the Son. He's given him authority to judge everything because he's the Son of Man. Again, it's not his priority to judge. It's a priority to save. But if I have to, I will. And then we see these powerful words when we jump down. Jesus says this, the father who sent me has testified about me himself. He's he's saying, I don't need a man to testify about me. The father's testified about me already. He says, you've never heard his voice or seen him face to face. Remember, it's been hundreds of years since they've heard the voice of God. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you don't believe me, the one who sent you. And then he said these words, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scripture points to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. In other words, everything you're searching in this, that's information. But when you take the information and you make it personal through me, Christ, then it becomes powerful. Then it becomes real. And see, that would have been condemning to these guys because they memorized the scriptures. They took pride in memorizing the scriptures. Jesus said, you can take all the pride you want in memorizing scriptures. If all it is about is you memorizing scriptures and people looking into you and seeing all the tassels dangling off your side and how great you are memorizing scriptures, it means nothing. This book cannot just be something that gives us good advice. It has to point us to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we jump to chapter seven real quick. 
There's all this. Jesus continues to do miracles. Jesus is in the temple. They start debating again. The Pharisees get mad at Jesus. They want him arrested. They can't arrest him because it's not his time. He's doing his James Bond thing. He's escaping everything. The temple guards go out to get him. They come back. They don't have him. The Pharisees are upset. John chapter 7, verse 45. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? The guards, we've never heard anyone speak like this. And they get angry. They say, have you been led astray too? Is there a single one of us, rulers or Pharisees, who believes in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they're ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. And then, verse 50, look who speaks up. Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, says, Is it legal to convict a man before he's even given a hearing? I mean, he's, he's not saying anything wrong. He's just pointing things out. And then they replied, are you from Galilee too? They're insulting him. Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. And I wonder if Nicodemus was sitting back there going, Micah, Elijah, Jonah, they all were from the region of Galilee. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, when he made that prophecy that said that Emmanuel, God with us, will be born to a virgin and he'll be called uh, 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 my wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. Right before that, he, he, we, we see it. He said that God would honor Galilee. So who, who should I be listening to? You guys? What God has been saying and is now revealing through Jesus Christ. But see, the Pharisees couldn't see past their own prejudice to see the truth. We don't ever do that, do we? But then, I want us to see this. In John chapter 19, Jesus has been crucified. Verse 38. After he's dead, Joseph of Arimathea, who has been a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. And then in verse 39, with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. See, that's not, every time John refers back to Nicodemus or or talks about Nicodemus, he refers back to the man who went to Jesus at night. Why? Because anytime you have a life change in your life, you remember that life change. I truly believe that the time when Nicodemus went to Jesus, his life changed. Because what he knew informationally, the scriptures he had memorized became real through the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope can be in the everlasting Father. And we can know the Father by knowing Jesus. And and Jesus went on in chapter 14 to tell Philip and the disciples that he wasn't going to leave them alone. He was going to send them the Holy Spirit, the advocate, one to be with them. Again, just verifying he's the everlasting father. That means he's not one that's going to leave us. He's not one that's going to forsake us. He's always going to be with us. We met him through his son, Jesus Christ, and now we get to live with him through the spirit. 
Jesus says, we'll always be with you. We're the everlasting father. He is the everlasting father. And after his resurrection, it all became real. But in John chapter 15, right after 14, we talked about it last week. Jesus went on and said, I'm the vine. You remain in me. But in that passage, he talked about the role of the father. And he told him the role of the father was to prune. But then when he pruned, he produces. See, because it's, it's important to the father who you're becoming. With my kids, my kids think about things that they want to be when they get older, with their careers, their jobs. For me, I'm not so concerned about their career as I am about who they become. What type of person do they become? Because if they become who God has created them to be, then whatever their assignment is, whatever their career is, they'll flourish. We can't, when we put our focus on letting the Father prune us into becoming who He wants us to become, then it doesn't matter what our assignment is. And when our assignment changes, we're not putting our identity in the assignment where our identity is in the Father. So when the assignment changes, we don't have an identity crisis because our identity is in the Father. So now, no matter what our assignment is, God can produce through us because we are becoming who he has called us to become. But it has to start with the relationship with Christ. Stand with me this morning. My desire today, my prayer is that our hope is in an everlasting father. Our hope is in someone that we don't just know about. We know. We know through a relationship that we have through Jesus Christ, through his son, through what he did, through what he taught. As that we grow in that relationship, we let God mold us into who he wants us to become as his child. And whatever we do, Identity will always be in our Father throughout our life. So my prayer is that our hope is in an everlasting Father. Jesus, God, we just ask today in this moment that you would just begin to move in our hearts. Help us today to see you and to know you through your son, Jesus Christ. As you continue to pray, I just want to to say this. If you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Father, if you just know about God, but you haven't began to know God, today, this moment can be just like the moment that we read in John chapter three for Nicodemus. Today can be that moment that you look back at it and say, you, the person that on that day, November 21st in Bethel Worship Center in Camden said, I want to know God personally. This can be that moment for you today. 
you can begin to know God personally, your Father. And all it takes is you speaking your heart to God. The scripture says to confess in your heart and to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. That what he did on the cross was real, that his resurrection was real, and that he did it for you and for your forgiveness of your sins. So I just encourage you today to, in your own words, begin to seek God and say, God, I want, I believe in you. I believe that Jesus came to this earth. He did what he did. And Father, I want to know you by knowing Jesus. I just encourage you today to make that prayer known. And if you're here today and you have struggled with knowing the Father as your Father because of a relationship you may have had with your dad, I pray today for you in the name of Jesus that that would begin to break off. That if you need to be led to forgive, that you will forgive. You'll have the ability to forgive. And as you forgive, you'll find freedom from whatever there may be in the past. And then as you forgive, that you begin to look to the heavenly father who is the original. And that you'll begin to know him truly as your heavenly father. God, we give you this day. We thank you for this moment. We pray that you move in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Two quick things before you walk out. If you're beginning a relationship with Christ and this is your first day, you're saying, I really want to make this personal, then I please tell someone. But if you do anything, if you the, the easiest way for us to follow up with you, if you just text the word hope, H-O-P-E, just type that word hope to 803-676-7566. Y'all can put that number on the screen. It's the same number we use when you text the word new. Just text that word and I will follow up with you personally. Because we want a journey with you. We don't want today just to be a moment we say, I want this, and then we never follow through. We never journey with Christ. We want a journey with you. And next week, our plan, we have someone that's planning to be baptized. We're going to have baptism set up. If you've never been baptized and expressed your faith publicly in Christ, we would love for you to be a part of that. Guess what? You can text the word baptism to that same number. And we will follow up with you and get things rolling. Because we want you to be able to say, I'm giving my life to Christ. I want others to know it. And I want to follow God. I want it to be personal, not just informational. Amen. God bless you guys. We pray that God's word has touched you today. Go be catalyst for transformation and go have fun and eat some food at the food trucks. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com. Go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to request prayer or send us anything that you would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.